when an action is performed in the spirit, total spirit of offering oneself, where there is no demand for any reward for oneself, where the very offering itself is a reward, when a person gains a sense of satisfaction in the very process of making an offering, that would be a great thing. Then, you see, if, if doing something itself is a reward, then what the consequence of the doing that doing is, is of, it doesn't matter. If I enjoy the very thing that I am doing, then it doesn't matter to me what the outcome will be, because usually outcome becomes important to me because my happiness comes from an outcome. It is not action that, or that we enjoy much. Usually action is performed so that it will bring about a certain reward. So keeping a personal reward, usually an action is performed. So action will finish off. So that the reward will come. It's a gratification. It's like the dessert that comes at the end. It comes at the end. There we finish the earlier food. Because they require to, because otherwise, as I was a child, I would only ask for dessert, nothing else. Give me only that. He says, no, no, you have to eat chapati, you might eat this, eat that, then only you'll get it. And so you finish up those things, so that you can enjoy the dessert. <coughs> Similarly also, karma phala, the result of an action is like dessert, which is what you basically want. It's a reward from performing an action is what the mind wants. But you cannot get a reward unless you perform an action thereby. You perform an action also, finish it out. Meaning performance of action does not, is not particular, does not generate much joy because my joy is reserved for the outcome of the action. So Lord Krishna says rather than that, may you gain your satisfaction from performing the action so that the reward does not remain of any consequence. Then you can be indifferent to reward. Because basically I am different to happiness, that's all. If karma gives me happiness, then karma phala does not remain important to me. That's how one can become free from attachment to karma phala. <coughs> Here the wise person is happy anyway, with, with doing something or without doing something. As we said, his very action itself is an expression of his fullness. And therefore, whatever he does is done out of fullness, not for the sake of fullness. It's done out of happiness, not for the sake of happiness. And therefore, there is no ego involved in that, in the sense that there is no demand or desire for any personal reward involved, nor there is any great notion that I am doing this. That being the case, that action does not produce any consequence for this wise person. Otherwise, action must produce a consequence. And whoever performs action is responsible for experiencing the consequence. So a wise person also performs actions which anybody is going to do. At least he must perform the action of eating his food, that much he has to do. And maybe begging the food, some action has to be performed, Nobody but nobody can be totally free from any activity. Unless you, you stay like stone, you know, in your samadhi, then or someday you will wake up. Someday some food will be needed, as long as the body is. 
And therefore, some action will be performed even by the wise person. If action is always binding, then the wise person also will be bound, in which case he cannot be liberated. Therefore, Lord Krishna is explaining how even when action is performed, it can be non-binding action. When that action is performed, without the expectation of what reward it will bring to me, and when that action is performed in the spirit of, totally a spirit of offering. So when I am offering myself with expecting no reward, such a thing is possible only when offering itself creates happiness in me. That alone is possible. If offering is done with a little grudge, as I said, three kinds of dhanam or charity are described by Lord Krishna. The, the best charity, as we say in the morning, is when there is an urge from within myself that I want to give. It's given with no expectation of reward because giving itself is, is the joy or fulfillment. Therefore, his mind is seeking no reward. That's the most exalted kind of giving. In another kind of giving, which is characterized by rajas, I give all right, but there's always some calculation of some reward. Even if I do not expect a reward from this person to whom I have given, and I expect a reward in terms of punya karma, some punya will be there in my account so that I will get heavens or something. Or I expect a return of favor to, from the one whom I am giving. So that's the second kind of, or I give reluctantly. Because sometimes you are placed in a position when you are required to give. When you are a, part of a group, everybody is making pledges, you know, thousand dollars, five hundred dollars, you are also there. Come on, what about you? you know, then you also require to make pledges. Okay, two fifty dollars. Reluctantly. So, diyatecha parikleshtam with klesha or with grudge or reluctance it is given. That's the second kind of dhanam. And third is given with contempt, you know. Because you don't want to give and still you have to give. And therefore, with the disrespect you give. That's the third kind of dhanam. But the first kind of dharam, wherein the person gives out of joy. So wise person performs an action out of joy, not for the sake of joy. So Lord Krishna says that, Krutvapina nibadhyate. Even when he performs action, he does not get bound by the action. So Lord Krishna teaches Arjuna here, a way of performing action such that the action does not bind you. See, Arjuna wanted to give up this action of fighting the battle on the pretext that the action will bind him. Oh Lord, I do not want to perform a binding action because I want to become free from samsara. I do not want to get further entangled in samsara. And why are you asking me to perform action? Tatkim karmani ghoremam niyojasi keshava. He keshava, Lord, why do you compel me? Or why do you direct me? Or ask me to perform this terrible action. Then I'll be bound further. Therefore all this long discourse where Lord Krishna says, no, there's no rule that just because you perform an action that you are bound. Only when you perform an action with expectation of personal reward or you perform an action with a sense of ego that I am doing this, then that becomes binding. 
But when an action is performed with no expectation of reward, where there is no ego involved that I am doing this, it's a spontaneous response, and that being the case, it is an action performed as a total offering, then the action does not become a binding action. Which means that, see this is, all this will be understood only by the people who are uh, familiar with the Vedic culture because karmana badhyade jantuhu normally understanding is that a person becomes bound by karma. What is called moksha is freedom from bondage of karma. That is why the karma is being discussed. That karma need not bind you. It is not action that binds you. It is the intention behind the action that can bind you or that can free you also. Therefore, Lord Krishna teaches in Bhagavad Gita that may you perform your action in the spirit of worship. In that case, that action becomes, makes you free. So action, anything in the world is, anything and everything can be either binding or freeing. If anything is done properly and intelligently, it becomes a means of my freedom. The very same thing also done unintelligently can become a means of further bondage. Action also is like that. And therefore Lord Krishna teaches, don't give up action. Mate sangostva karmani May you not have attachment towards inaction or dropping out of action. Don't do that. Perform, don't give up action. Lord Krishna does not want anybody to give up action. If you are wise, then also perform action for helping people. If you think that you are wise, if you are wise, you don't need to be told anyway. But then, if you think that you are wise, still perform the action for, for helping others. If you think that you are not wise, perform the action to purify yourself. In any case, action must be performed. <clears throat> and therefore, this wise person is being described here as to how the actions performed by him are non-binding. <clears throat> Why is it that his actions do not bind him? What is it, what is special about him? So next, in the next verse, the 24th verse, which is a very famous verse of Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna tells us, what is the vision of the wise person? What is the perception of the wise person? How he sees everything. That is said in the verse 24, Brahmar Param Brahmahavihi Brahmadnau Brahmanahutam Brahmaivatena Gantavyam Brahmakarma Samadhina Does it sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? Okay. Yeah. So this is a verse that we chant before meals and then we commence our meals. So that verse comes from this place in Bhagavad Gita. Here, Lord Krishna describes the vision of the wise person. Vision means what he sees. Not what he sees with his eyes, but what he sees with his mind. What we see with our organs of perception is called pratiti, perception. What we see in our mind is called vision. Let us put it this way, you know, just to distinguish between the two. For example, 
I see a person, my eyes tell me that here is a person. My mind says that he is a friend. So I do not see a friend with my eyes, understand? My eyes only reveal the fact that here is a person. The, the form and color are revealed by the eyes. It is my mind that says, this is a friend. This is an enemy. All these judgments are made by the mind. And therefore, the organs of perception give us a data of what is around and that is common to both wise person and other, other people also. Not that because he is wise that he sees something else with his eyes, it's the same thing that everybody else sees. But the interpretation in the mind is different. So whatever we perceive, our mind interprets what we perceive and then we respond. So we are responding to a situation not based on what is perceived or what is there, but based on what our mind interprets. If the person in front of me is interpreted by my mind as a reliable, a trustworthy person, then my uh, interaction will be of one kind. If somehow in my mind says, don't trust this person, then my interaction, Vyavahara, will be of a different kind. Person remaining the same. Depends on what my judgment or interpretation or perception is. So we see this world of names and forms, wise person also sees the world of names and forms. But an ignorant person only sees that much. He only sees his vision or his mind does not penetrate beyond the names and forms. We see the man as a man, a woman as a woman, as a dog as a dog, a cat as a cat, as a bird as a bird, as a chair as a chair, everything. Which is what a wise person also sees. But he sees something more. Lord Shiva has three eyes. With the two eyes, he sees what everybody else sees. The third eye is called the eye of knowledge, which is something more than what everybody else sees. Like a goldsmith. So there is a heap of ornament lying in front of him. He also sees various ornaments. But he also sees gold in all the ornaments. Therefore, when he gives you ornament, he just weighs them and then gives you according to, you know, whatever the price is. To him it is gold. So also to a wise person, what is this universe? What, how does the universe reveal itself to a wise person? He sees nothing but Brahman. He sees nothing but Ishvara. That all this is manifestation of Ishvara. Ishvara alone is. What is, is Ishvara. What is, is Brahman. Whether it is sentient or insentient. Whether it is a human being or an animal. Whether it's table or a chair. Whether it is sentient or insentient, whatever it is. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is. As Ishavasya Upanishad says, Ishavastyam idam sarvam yat kincha jagatyam jagat. Whatever there is in this creation, is to appreciate as Ishwar. And whatever it is includes everything, includes a friend as well as a foe, includes a saint as well as a sinner. Whatever it is, is nothing but manifestation of Ishwara. 
Ishvara or Brahman is manifest in that form. Which is a fact. Just as it is gold that is manifest as all the ornaments, and so also it is Brahman that is manifest as any name and form. But usually people look at only the shape of the ornament, the form, the design, that's about all. It requires somebody like goldsmith to see that even when the shapes and forms are there, it is gold. And ornament is gold regardless of whether ornament is very shapely or ornament is shapeless or it is not, you know, not, not done properly. Whether design is beautiful or design is ugly, it doesn't matter. That does not deny the fact that it is gold. And so also, all the differences are in what we call upadhi, in the personality. This body, sense organs, mind, intellect, this complex is what we call personality. That is where all the differences are there. And in the personality there is a saint or there is a sinner, all of this is confined to the personality of the costume. But the one who manifests through the personality, the person is nothing but Ishvara, nothing but Brahman. Therefore, a wise person does not, in his mind, it does not matter in what costume Brahma comes. To an ignorant person, costume matters. He is a saint, he is a sinner, he is this, he is that, he is man, he is a dog, he is a tree, whatever. So that decides how I respond. But to the wise person, not the form in which it comes, what comes? He perceives nothing but the play of one Ishvara or Brahman in everything. That is what Lord Krishna describes in the verse 24 that we just read. And that the wise person perceives Brahman everywhere, because that all that is all there is, including his own self. This vision of the wise person is described with reference to a yajna, with reference to a fire sacrificial ceremony. And as you know, in a typical sacrificial ceremony or it's a ceremony which is or a form of worship to the devatas. In the Vedic times, the worship to the devatas was done through fire. Those days, they did not have temples, they did not have the, the, uh, the, the icons, or the images, etc. But the Lord as manifest as natural forces, as different gods, was worshipped. And those days, the worship was through fire, when in the fire, the devata, a given deity is invoked and offering is made to the deity. Outwardly, it will appear that he is throwing away something in fire. To the uninitiated person, it will look like he is throwing away in fire and it's turning into ashes. What a waste! So people even now say, why are you wasting? They take this ghee or clarified butter, which is a very common, you know, material of worship, and that is offered, chanting the mantra. So thousand and eight times they offered, you know, last Monday. So many different materials. And you can say there, what is this? You're just throwing everything in fire. It's all turning into ash. So it may look like to somebody. But not, not to a devotee. A devotee, in, in fact, invokes the deity in the fire and he is 
feeding the devotee, he is making offering to the devotee. So fire, one of the children yesterday was, I was quite impressed. I said, what does fire do? I was, you know, asking children. And they say different things, you know, it cooks food and it burns and somebody said it illumines. And one of the children said, the fire carries also the oblations to devatas. They, they must have heard in this in the classes. So the belief is that when you make an offering to fire, the fire is called hutavaha. So whatever is offered is carried by the fire, is the messenger. And it is, it is given to the respected devata. Or devata comes in the fire and receives the oblation that is given by you. It is a ceremony of worshipping God through devatas. This is a Vedic ceremony. This is called a yajna. And yajna is the most sacred ceremony. That is why Lord Krishna compares the wisdom of the wise person with a yajna. Whenever anything is compared to yajna, that means that thing is praised. So Lord Krishna praises the knowledge, what we call Brahma-jnanam or knowledge of Brahman, by comparing that knowledge with a yajna. And therefore, this verse describes the vision of the wise person with reference to a yajna. In yajna or, or, or this sacrificial ritual, there is an altar in which you kindle fire. There is a way of preparing the altar, there is a way of kindling fire, there is a very elaborate procedure. And in that fire you invoke the devata. And you recite or chant a mantra which pertains to that devata and make an offering, ahuti. Supposing that reaches the devata and you get the result of your action. Perhaps you are performing the ceremony for attaining heavens, then you achieve heavens as a result of the ceremony. But then this ceremony gives you some karma phala, it gives you the fruit of your action. So while this ceremony, suppose a wise person performs this ceremony, how does he see, perceive different things? Lord Krishna says, Brahma Arpanam, Brahma Havihi, Brahma Agnav, Brahmana Hutam. Brahma Arpanam, Arpanam, Arpa means to offer. So Arpanam, that word can be the derived in many ways. But arpanam can be derived in many ways. A simple way of deriving it is, is arpyate anenaiti arpanam. That by which something is offered is called arpanam. So in a typical fire ritual, you take this material such as ghee or clarified butter, you take a portion of it in a ladle, which is a wooden spoon, and you offer it to fire, to the devata. So therefore, that ladle or the wooden spoon with which the offering is made is called arpanam, because that by which something is offered is called arpanam. It is ladle or wooden spoon by which something is offered, like the oblation is offered, therefore, that is called arpanam. So Lord Krishna says, Brahma arpanam. To a wise person, he also perceives a ladle, 
But he sees that as nothing but the manifestation of Brahman. In the vision of wise person, this ladder, a wooden spoon, is Brahman. Just as an ordinary person sees a snake, where a knowledgeable person sees rope, so also where an ordinary person sees only a wooden spoon, there the wise person recognizes asti, bhati, priyam, sat, chit, ananda, nothing but Brahman in the form of the spoon. Meaning, he perceives spoon also as Brahman. <coughs> or, arpanam can also mean arpere asmaidi, the one to whom offering is made. So that by which offering is made, arpanam, if that is how we interpret, arpanam means a ladle or something like that. Or arpere asmai, the one to whom offering is made, if that's how we explain the word arpanam, then is the devata. So devata also is Brahman. <coughs> or offering is made also with the mantras by citing a mantra. Mantra also is Brahman. Is Brahman. <coughs> or that unto which something is offered. So that adhikaranam, the place is also arpanam. Time, place, etc. also is Brahman. Meaning wise person perceives a ladle as Brahman. Or the Devata is Brahman, or the Mantra is Brahman, or the place and time is Brahman. He sees all of this as manifestation of Ishvara, manifestation of divinity. He sees divinity there, he sees harmony there, he sees nothing but perfection, he sees nothing but a wholeness manifesting as all these different things. Brahmarpanam, he sees his own self as a matter of fact. Brahmahavihi. So, Havihi means oblation, that which is offered, like clarified, but like ghee is called Havihi, Havish. That also is Brahman in the eyes of the wise person. Brahmagnav, Agni of the fire, unto which offering is made, also is Brahman in his, in his perception, his vision. Brahmanahutam, one by whom the offering is made, his own self also is Brahman. Hutam, the very act of offering also is Brahman. Meaning, in his perception, everything is Brahman. Really, what it means is Sarvam Khaluvidam Brahma. All this indeed is Brahman in the vision of the wise person. Of which a few things are described. You can't describe everything. You can't, you know, you cannot list everything. But Lord Krishna listed a few things which are important elements comprising Yajna. Thereby meaning that the, the knowledge of the wise person is comparable to yajna, which is, means it is exalted. It also means that wise person sees everywhere and everything as nothing but manifestation of Brahman or Ishwara or his own self. <coughs> Brahma yavatena gantavyam. By this person, gantavyam, as a result of performing this yaga of knowledge, what will achieve? Brahma yavatena gantavyam. The goal or what he will achieve also is Brahman. Why is it so? Because Brahma Karma Samadhina, he is because, because he is Brahma Karma Samadhi. So Brahma itself is Karma. Karma is objective reach. Samadhi means his mind is totally concentrated upon Brahman as an object. He sees everything as Brahman. Or Karma also can be action. For him, the whole action also is Brahman. In his perception, there is nothing but Brahman. Therefore, he is Brahman and he reaches Brahman because there is nothing else to reach. So, this 
This verse says that the wise person visualizes or perceives or sees or knows everything is Brahman. Understand that this perception is a mind. You don't perceive Brahman. Swamiji himself spoon, he sees something there. What does he see? His own self. Brahman is not different from himself. Meaning he doesn't see anything as separate from himself. He sees his own self as manifesting as the whole universe of names and forms. <clears throat> and this verse is chanted before the meals. The reason is that in a way there is a suggestion that the meal or this, this whole act of eating the food can also be perceived as a yajna, as, as a yajna or as, a, as an act of worship. In yajna, you require the fire and you require the material of offering. So when we, when we eat, we take a morsel of food in our, in our fingers, put it in our mouth and it goes to the stomach. In stomach, there is digestive fire. So we can visualize how every morsel of food that we put in our mouth and masticate is comparable to one oblation given to fire. Now, not only we chant this particular verse, but you will find that we also chant the 15th chapter of Gita. There are relevant verses in 15th chapter of Gita, particularly last few verses. In the, during lunch time, we recite the whole 15th chapter. In the evening, we recite only from verses 12 onwards. So from verse 13 onwards, 13, 14, 15, there are three verses in the 15th chapter, which are relevant to, to eating, to the act of eating food. Because there Lord Krishna says, Pushnamicha aushadihi sarvaha somo bhutva rasatmakaha as soma or a principle of moon, a principle of juice, a principle of sap, I nourish all the plants and vegetables. I give them nourishment and give them taste. So nourishment and taste which is there in plants and vegetables is nothing but me. So Lord Krishna says, I myself become the plants and vegetables and come before you in the form of food. And therefore, the food which is there in our plate in front of us is nothing but Lord, Lord, Ishwara, Brahma. Then he further says, Aham Vaishwanara Bhutva Pranayanam Dehamashidaha Pranapana Samayuktaha Pachamyannam Chaturvidham That I recite in the stomach of all the living beings as the digestive fire. As a digestive fire, I recite in the in all the living beings. And I digest the food, the fourfold food that different living beings eat, I digest them with the help of prana and apana, the inhalation and exhalation with that help of that, I digest all the food. Meaning digestive fire also I am. So Lord Krishna says, food also I am. So food also is Brahma, the fire also is Brahma. And then, then Lord Krishna says, Sarvasya chaham rudi sannivishtaha. I dwell as a self of all the beings, which means that the person who is eating also is Lord or Brahman. Then when the food is digested in the stomach, it is converted into juices 
and it is, it is then spread into the entire body. And therefore, this body is nothing but the modification of the essence of food. So food is Brahman. So essence also is Brahman. So this body which is made of essence of food also is Brahman. So my fingers also are Brahman. So fingers with which I pick the food and put it in my mouth is called Arpanam. That by which I am offering oblation. That also is Brahman. So then this verse, Brahma Arpanam, Arpanam, my fingers with which I am eating food is Brahman. Brahma Havi, the food which I am eating, which is offered as oblation, also is Brahman. Brahma Agnav, the Agni, the fire, digestive fire, to which the food is offered, also is Brahman. Brahmanahutam, one by whom this offering is made, namely self, also is Brahman. Hutam, the whole process of offering or eating is Brahman. So therefore, in fact this is so. Every aspect involved in eating the food is Brahman, as we explained. And therefore, one can look upon this act of eating the food as an act of worship, as an act of sacrifice or act of worship. And one can remind oneself that whatever it is, Eater also is Brahman, eaten also is Brahman. The subject also is Brahman, object also is Brahman. The whole universe made up of bhokta and bhogya, eater and eaten. That's all that is. What is in the whole universe is what? Bhokta and bhogya, the subject and object, eater and eaten. Both are Brahman. Therefore, keeping this in mind, if you eat your food, then eating also becomes nothing but meditation upon Ishvara or worship of Ishvara. That is the reason why this, the verses of 15 chapter and this verse also is chanted. <coughs> so this is called Jnana Yajna. Yajna in the form of knowledge. This is the main Yajna. This is Yajna that a wise person performs. He doesn't do anything. But his very knowledge, very vision itself is equal to Yajna. Therefore, some imams have a problem. They look at these fellows, they have given up the renunciates, they have given up all their duties and therefore they will become, uh, they are not performing their duties, therefore they are accountable. Therefore, here it is said that this very knowledge itself is equal to yajna. Therefore, he is constantly performing yajna and is doing his duty. Now in next several verses, Lord Krishna describes different spiritual practices. Lord Krishna wants to say that inasmuch as the ultimate goal is yajna in the form of knowledge, therefore the means also should be yajna. The means should be compatible to the end. If end that we are seeking is knowledge, which is of the nature of yajna as described in the 24th verse, then the spiritual means that you undertake for achieving that goal of yajna the means also should be yajna. Therefore, in the next few verses, Lord Krishna mentions some of the spiritual practices which different aspirants perform and calls them yajna. Because wherever some offering is made, that is called yajna. So, word yajna is now used in a very broad sense. Conventionally, yajna is only that action where an offering is made into fire. However, yajna, the word, can also be used to include 
any action where some offering is made, any action that is performed in the spirit of offering. In that sense, in fact, Lord Krishna often uses our yajna in Bhagavad Gita. Yajna arthat karmanonyatra, when you perform an action in the spirit of yajna, meaning in spirit of offering or worship. So now Lord Krishna says, how different aspirants practice different spiritual, uh, perform different spiritual practices. Some of these are mentioned here. Let us read the verse 25. Deva meva pare yajnam Yoginah paryupasate Brahmagnava pare yajnam Yajnenaivopajukhvade Apare yoginaha devam yajnam paryupasade. Lord Krishna says that there are some yogis who are what we call the karmakandis. So some yogis who worship Lord through the conventional or traditional process of yajna, like the one that we watched on the on the on Monday. Whereas we just said that in the, you you kindle fire in the altar. Invoke the devatas and make offerings with the chan- accompaniment of chanting of mantras. So there are those who are adept in that, they, that's what they do. As a form of worship. So you can perform this yajna for a specific end in mind. That this is done, ayushya homa, so that for longevity it is done. Vrityunja homa, for conquering death or disease. So with those results in mind, you can perform these homas. Or you can perform these homas simply as an act of worship, with no expectation of results. Either any action can be sakama karma or nishkama karma. An action can be performed with a personal desire, or an action can be performed without any desire, simply as an act of offering. So any action performed as in the spirit of offering is called yajna. So Lord Krishna says, there are many aspirants, many seekers, who are seekers of knowledge. But then, before knowledge can take place, before knowledge takes place or can take place, there is a preparation required in terms of antahagana shuddhi or purification of mind. So various spiritual practices described in, in this and other verse, following verses are means of antahagana shuddhi or purification of mind. In fact, the whole karma yoga described in Bhagavad Gita is meant for purification of mind. So therefore, the practices performed for purification of mind are also called yajna. Whether they are yajna in conventional manner or there are other kind of practices, they are all called yajna. So Lord Krishna says that you must perform yajna in your life to gain inner purification so that you can ultimately accomplish yajna in the form of knowledge. So first stage is yajna performed as a means of inner purification that leads to yajna of the nature of knowledge. 
So the yajnas described in several verses are the yajnas performed by different aspirants for purification of mind. And what practice you will undertake depends upon your own disposition and your own liking, your own aptitude. So, so many spiritual practices are available from which one can choose for one's own inner purification. So, as far as the uh, as far as the path to antarakana shuddhi or inner purification is concerned, there are many means. See, they say that the goal is one, the paths are many. And so people believe that there are all, all the paths are equal and they all lead to the same goal. But now, all these different spiritual practices would lead to the goal of antahagana suddhi or purification of mind. From there on, there is only one path and that is the path of knowledge. To recognize that Brahman is my own self. So, ultimately path is knowledge. But for preparation for knowledge, there are many practices available, some of which are, pres- are described here, and there are many more. In a country like India, when over millennia, so many spiritual practices develop, many. So there are many, many traditions, many forms of worship. So many devutas are there, so many forms of worships are there, and every form of worship is, has its own unique characteristics. So in different parts of the country you find different spiritual practices performed and in the same part, in one part of country also you find many practices. In one family you also may find members perhaps doing different kinds of things. That's all fine in as much as every spiritual practice has a potential of as long as it is performed in the, in the spirit of worship it has the potential of creating or giving me antahagana shuddhi or preparedness for knowledge. <clears throat> so here Lord Krishna says there are some spiritual aspirants who perform the traditional yajna where daivam yajnam where devata or deity is invoked and offerings are made and this is what they do as a spiritual practices. When does it become spiritual? When it is performed without any expectation of result. Otherwise it is not spiritual. An action is spiritual only when it is selfless action. Otherwise it's a material action. Just because you do religious action doesn't mean that you are a spiritual person. In the ninth chapter, Lord Krishna says, there are many fellows who perform very elaborate yajnas. But to perform the yajnas or all these the sacrifices or rituals, what do they want? They want heavens. They don't ask for me, they ask for heavens. So that's where they go. Just to come back because when the punya is exhausted, come back again and again do that. So this is a merry-go-round, you know, or go, going round and round. Whether it's merry or no merry. But the, what is called spiritual practice is when the same yajna can be performed without expectation of any reward. No heavens, nothing. All I want is Ishvara. What I want through this practice is inner purification. I know that there is nothing to be accomplished in life. It is accomplishment of what is already accomplished. And therefore, I do not want to accomplish more things and add further baggage, you know. Whatever baggage I want to get rid of it. So we can perform an action to accumulate more baggage, or we can perform an action to get rid of baggage. So when an action is performed to get rid of the baggage, 
of likes and dislikes, attachment, aversion, then it becomes a spiritual action. Otherwise, it's like anything else. Whether you perform a ritual or you do business there or you do agriculture, same stuff. Except maybe one way more effective, but no big difference. No big difference in as much as all are material, materialistic people because they are only seeking material pleasure. Whatever action you perform. So one who is seeking the spiritual growth is a spiritual person. So Lord Krishna says there are those who perform this Homa Yagni, Daiva Yagna, for the sake of Antahagana Shuddhi, purification of mind. Brahma Agna Vapare Yagnam, Yagni Naiva Upajihvati. There are others who perform the fire, the, the Yagna, the, sac- the fire of the sacrifice of knowledge. The second line is a different kind of Yagna that Lord Krishna is talking about. There are those aspirants of knowledge, seekers of knowledge, who may be renunciates or whatever, who have only one thing to do, who are totally devoted to the pursuit of knowledge. And what they do is, they offer in the fire of knowledge the ignorance. How do you offer ignorance? What does ignorance do? Ignorance causes a wrong perception about myself. Ignorance causes a sense of ego. Ignorance ever causes a sense of smallness. So they perform yajna like this. Every time my mind comes up with the idea of smallness, every time the ego arises in my mind, declaring that I am a small or limited person, right away I make my mind see, hey, you are not this, you are Brahman. The ego says, I am a human being. Then immediately I make it see, no, you are Brahman. This yajna can be performed when a lot of sharvanam, mananam has been done, when one has gained this knowledge, then also it is necessary to overcome the habitual error of identifying with the body, etc. And therefore, the habitual, the habit of the mind to always declare that I am, I am limited, it keeps on coming in different ways. And every time the thought comes, I replace it by I am Brahman. Meaning that the notion born of ignorance is offered in the fire of knowledge that I am Brahman. This is called Jnana Yajna. This is Yajna or the sacrificial ritual characterized by knowledge. In the fire of knowledge, you offer ignorance. That's the most exalted Yajna. This other Yajna that are meant to ultimately lead to this Yajna or the sacrifice, or what you call the knowledge sacrifice in which in the fire of knowledge that I am Brahman, Ignorance of the nature of various notions is offered. <coughs> and this is what some other experience do. And further, <coughs> in the verse 26, <laughs> Shabdadin Vishyananye Indriyagnisha Jukhvade And the others. Others offer organs of fearing other senses in the fire of self-mastery. Another kind of yajna is being done by some people. You know what they do? We have these organs of perception with the faculty of hearing, touch, 
sight, taste, smell, the five organs of perception we have. <coughs> and with these organs of perception, we perceive and experience the fivefold objects of the world. So a lot of enjoyment comes from experiencing the pleasurable objects from the organs of perception. Like I hear pleasurable sounds through the ears and I get pleasure out of that. Pleasurable touch, pleasurable forms and colors, pleasurable taste, pleasurable smell. So what these yogis do? They completely starve their sense organs. Shrutradini Indriyani All the sense organs, beginning from the faculty of hearing, the five organs of perception are there as I just described. Sanyamagni Shujivati Sanyam means self-control or self-mastery. Meaning that they do not permit their sense organs to experience any object. <coughs> and therefore they have withdrawn their mind from their occupation of all sense objects and the mind is completely withdrawn inward. Meaning sense organs are no more wandering in their pleasurable objects. Sense organs are denied any kind of an association or experience of sense objects sense organs are made to remain in their own locuses and not go out. You know, what I mean is usually, even when we are sitting here and listening to this talk, even then, our sense organs are quite active. Our ears are active. Sometimes listening to sounds and things that are coming from outside, you know. And so, oh, oh, my friend has come, you know. And so, you wonder. But this because, the ears are always tuned to something. The eyes are always watching. Not only watching the, the Swami, everything else is going on around. If somebody comes in, then you can see the whole audience, you know, following that. Suppose somebody gets up from here and leaves, surely everybody's eyes will follow. All the way. They'll escort him, all the way. I am st- sitting here, wondering, you know, that somebody leaving is more important than I am sitting here. But that's what happens. It is just a habit. It is, it, you know, because the sense organs are so restless. It's just a habit. With the fingers to keep doing something while sitting also. Moving the body one way or something or the other. Some activity always takes because this is all organs of perception and organs of action. Both of these also keep doing something. The yogis, yogi says no more. So he has gained such a control over himself that he prevents all the sense organs from contacting their respective sense objects and all of them are focused in their locuses only and therefore no activity at the organ of perception, no activity at the organ of action. He is concentrating totally upon himself. This stage in Yoga Shastra Pratyahara. There is Yama, Niyama, Asana, Pranayama, Pratyahara. Yama means all various uh, don'ts, what we should not do, various values. Niyama does what we should do in our daily life. Asana, developing the posture, so that you can sit comfortably in a posture for a length of time. Pranayama, controlling the breathing, so that the mind also is controlled. Pratyahara, 
withdrawing all the senses from the respective objects and focusing them in their in their locuses and not allowing them to go out. Whole process is nothing but withdrawing our whole attention over self. That's what Yoga Shastra is in fact teaching us. And so this is Pratyahara. So Shrotradini Indriyani Anye Sanyamanga Shujukhavadi There are some yogis who perform the sacrifice of withdrawing the activity of all the sense organs to themselves. This is also a sacrifice because some offering is made here. What's the offering? The natural tendency of the sense organs to engage in sense objects is restrained and is offered in the fire of self-control. So this also becomes a yajna. Shabdadin vishayan anye indriyagnishujukhvadi For others, this is a tough thing to do. So others are a little less, you know, others are not as uh, accomplished as this. So what other seekers do? Shabdadin vishayan anye indriyagnishujukhvadi In the fire of sense organs, they offer the sense objects. In the fire of sense, see in the fire of self-control, they offer sense organs. Meaning not allowing sense organs to do anything by their control. It say, say that in the fire of self-control, they offer the sense organs. That is the way of yajna. Other people, here Lord Krishna says, they offer sense objects in the fire of sense organs. Meaning, other seekers are not as accomplished as the previous ones. So what they do, they allow their sense organs to experience sense objects, but only those which are permitted. So they will eat food also, they will listen to sound, they will see things, only those which are kosher. Kosher means those which are permitted by the scriptures. That means they will not allow their sense organs to contact anything that is polluting. <coughs> Understand that constantly we are, I mean, we are eating food not only through mouth, but we are consuming a lot of food through our sense organs also. Through ears we are constantly listening to sounds and words, and through eyes we are watching forms and colors. With skin we are touching various things, with, with nose we are smelling various things. All of these, understand, is kind of food which can have, which does have an influence on our mind. What kind of things you hear? What kind of things you see? What kind of things you smell? What kind of things you touch? All of this becomes very important because all of these give signals to the mind. And therefore, if these associations or experiences are impure, then they will make the mind impure. Meaning that if I see impure things, if I hear impure things, if I touch impure things, then it makes my mind also impure. So that is why there are certain sex or very, very particular, even about touch. The Vaishnava, Pushtimara, they will not touch anything. And then, you know, unless they wash their hands, unless the thing is touchable, you know, very, very particular. Because recognizing that impurity also can come through touch, it can come through eyes, it can come through ears. And this is all food which has influence upon our mind. And therefore, here are the seekers who restrain themselves into experiencing only those objects which are pure and they with discipline and deliberation avoid anything that is impure 
How to decide what is pure and impure? Whatever is prescribed by the scriptures is acceptable. Whatever is prohibited in scriptures is to be avoided. So, this is also yajna. Because the eyes may want to see everything, ears may want to hear everything, but you prevent. He says, no, hear only the listening. Listen to the glories of the Lord. Don't listen to anything else. Listen to Kirtan, Bhajan, listen to Vedanta, listen to those things which only have a positive effect. See what? Don't see everything which will pollute your mind. Go and see Lord Dakshinamurti. See. See your Guru. See good things, you know, which have a positive impact on your mind. So this also becomes a yajna because the tendency of the sense organs to indulge into other, indulge into undesirable things is prevented. So that kind of an offering is made. So this also is called yajna. A little lower kind of yajna. So there are some who perform the yajna of the nature of restraining the sense organs from association with anything that is prohibited or anything that is undesirable, anything that is thought to be polluting. <coughs> then further, Verse 27. Sarvani Atma Sanyama Yoga Agnau Juhvati Jnana Deepite Here are the yogis. What do they do? Sarvani Indriya Karmani. All the actions of a sense organs of perception and all the actions of organs of action. Prana Karmani Chapare. Indriya, we have ten organs. Five organs of perception and five organs of action. Speech is an organ of action. Hands are organs of action. Legs also are organs of action. The procreation also is action. The, the excretion also is action. These are the five organs of action. So Sarvani Indriya Karmani. These are yogis who have stopped their sense organs for performing any action whatever. Prana Karmani Cha. Our prana or vital air also performs various actions of exhalation, inhalation and whatever. They also, they have, that, that has been stopped. Atma Sanyama Yoga Agnav In the fire of Sanyama, in the fire of self-control. So fire of self-mastery. Jukhvati, the offer. Meaning that every action is offered. Nothing is allowed to do any action at all. They have gained a complete self-mastery and therefore they enjoy a complete tranquility, what we call samadhi or total absorption, where all the organs of action are still, all organs of perception also are still, the prana also is still, the mind also is still, everything is still. And thus all of these things have a tendency to act. The organs of perception, organs of action, mind, all of these are the prana. By nature, all of them are are changing. All of them are, are, have a tendency to do something. Therefore, one must in fact restrain the tendencies of doing things at all the levels. A level of organs of sense, organs of perception, organs of action, the prana, the mind, all of these tendencies are restrained and the person enjoys a complete self-mastery 
a state which is what we call absorption into the self or the samadhi. So samadhi yogi is a great yajna for the greatest yajna of all these that I described because every movement and every tendency to move has been restrained and that's what he's offering in the fire of self-mastery. So fire of the nature of self-mastery in which all the activities are offered so that his mind is totally focused upon the self. <clears throat> so that is this kind of yajna other yogis perform. Yet other yogis, what do they do? Next verse. Dravya yajna stapo yajna Yoga yajna stata pare Svadhyaya yajnana yajnascha Yatayasam shitavrataha This verse describes six kinds of yajnas. Dravya yajnaha There are those who perform yajna with dravya, with money or with wealth. So there are, you see, you find different people doing different kinds of things. There are some people who are given to charity. They just keep on giving and giving and giving charity. Therefore, dravya yajna, the people who perform yajna or sacrifice many spiritual practice with the help of dravya, with the help of money or wealth. And so, well, they earn money also, but then they keep on distributing money to those who are needy without again expectation of any reward. Then it becomes a yajna. So, dravya yajna, there are those who perform the yajna, the spiritual practice in the form of dhanam, in the form of charity by giving or distributing the wealth. (coughs) Tapo yajna, you find some other people who are given to austerities. So there are some people who love just austerity. Ask our lady sitting in front, you know, how many days in the month she is. Oh, on the Ekadashi, in the eleventh day I, I fast, and on the Amavasya I fast, and on Saturday I fast, and on Thursday I fast. And, you know, how, don't tell me when you fast, and when you eat, you know. There are some people who are fasting and fasting all the time. Even when special months come, month of Shravana comes, then he fasts one day and eats one day, next day. All kinds of, so tapas, tapas means austerities, penance. Some people's life is characterized by penance. They do all kinds of other practices also. For example, they perform japa and they take a vow of doing it so many lakhs, you know, in so many days, they do. they fasting, reciting, all kinds of austerities which involve a certain amount of restraining, total amount of restraining oneself. This is what they do. Tapo yajna. So in their life, tapas or austerity or penance is prominent. That's how they worship God. Different ways of worshipping God. Some people worship God by charity. Some others worship God by way of tapas, penance or austerity. Yoga yajna. Some other people are worshipping God through yoga. What we call Ashtanga Yoga. We say Yama, Niyama, Asana, Pranayama, this eight stage yoga. That's what they keep doing. 
and this is their form of worshipping Ishvara. <coughs> Swadhyaya Jnaha. Some people keep on Swadhyaya. Swadhyaya can mean study of the scriptures. <coughs> or it can also mean Japa. The word Swadhyaya in Yoga Shastra means reciting Om, reciting the name of God. So some people keep on doing that. They are just devoted to reciting name of God. Or Swadhyaya. Some people constantly study the scriptures and contemplate. That's all they do. Study the scriptures. Gnana Yajnasya. Some people also form, I mean, are devoted to pursuit of knowledge. Sharvanam, Manam, Nididhyasanam. That's all the pursuit they have. So they are also spiritual aspirants. Yatayaha, Samshita Vrataha. There are others who, who follow, observe severe vows. Take a vow of non-violence. I will not commit violence. Severe vows. These vows can be conditional and vows can be unconditional also. Somebody can say that I will not eat meat whenever I am in a place of pilgrimage. You know, they, so that's the kind of vow they take. I will not eat meat when I am in a place of pilgrimage. But that is also a vow. Some kind of restraint is there. Somebody will say, I will not tell a lie except when I am in business, you know. <laughs> At least some restraint is there. Somebody will say, I will not steal unless it comes to income tax or something like that. Okay. <laughs> so people do take vows, but conditional vows. I will not tell a lie except, you know, in front of my guru. Elsewhere is okay, but that much I will not do. Whatever. But samshita vrataha, there are those who take severe vows. I will not tell a lie. Stop. That's it. Period. This is, I will not tell a lie. Period. Not that I will tell truth. I will not tell a lie. You are not obliged to speak truth because it may not be necessary. Speak only when necessary. But surely, if you speak, do speak truth. But our vrata can be, I will not tell a lie. And in any condition, circumstances of all life. Samshita vrataha. So, Yoga Shastra gives us different vratas. Ahimsa, Satya, Asteya, Brahmacharya, Aparigraha. This is called Yama. Ahimsa, non-violence, not hurting any living being. By action, by words, by thoughts. Some people severely observe this vow. In India, we have this, uh, this religion called Jains. Uh, they are really very big on non-violence. And they practice non-violence to the last, co- you know, to the, uh, to the maximum extent. Which is a great thing. Their monks, they only uh, walk bare feet, that's all. They don't even use any vehicles. They don't use any kind of modern amenities. They don't even use microphones. Don't even use electricity, I think. Because more you consume, more violence, Some, you know, in consumption, somewhere some violence takes place. Minimum consumption. This is a vrata. Ahimsa. Samshita vrataha. Those having severe vows. So also, truths can be vow. Ahimsa, satyam, Asteya, non-stealing, can be vow. Brahmacharya, 
celibacy or self-control, aparigraha, not storing anything, then people don't keep anything with them. Minimum. That's all. If whatever comes is all gone. They keep only minimum things with aparigraha, non-holding. So, these in different vows, yatayah samshitavrataha, there are many yatis, many seekers or aspirants who follow these severe vows. Thus, Lord Krishna is describing different kinds of spiritual practices. Every spiritual practice requires some offering to be made. Offering in terms of what my natural tendency is, offering in terms of disciplining, in terms of restraining. And therefore, all of these are called yajna, they are secondary signs. So, still Lord Krishna will describe in, in the next one verse, which we will see in the next class. <coughs> Om Purnamadaf Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyate Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Bhagavantau punaf punaha Ishvaro gururatmedi Murti bheda vibhagine Vyoma vadvyapta dehaya Dakshina murtaye namaha Om shantishan tishantihi Hari om Sri gurubhyo namaha Hari om